welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to a series of After the Bell your weekly educational podcast from Connects Academy. Georgie here, Managing Director, and I'm joined again by our experts, Andy Bridge, a current Deputy Head Teacher, and Debbie Davis, Head Teacher of a Primary School. Both are experienced SENCOs. Today, we discuss SEND support in the early years sector. Early identification and early actions are crucial for supporting children with SEND to make progress. Getting the right support in place at an early age can be transformative. We discuss implications of the code of practice for early year providers, including nursery and childminders. So let's begin with an overview of the SEND Code of Practice 2015. Can you explain what it is and why it's important for early year providers? Debbie, can you refresh us all? Of course. Um, So the same code of practice, 2015, it's a statutory guidance document that's been issued by the Department for Education in the United Kingdom. Um, And it sets out the legal requirements and best practices that anyone working with children and young people with special needs and disabilities must follow. And, you know, I'm using the words legal and must follow for early years providers, including nurses and childminders, this code of practice outlines the steps they need to take to ensure that children with special educational needs receive support that they require to thrive in in early years education. I hope that's helped us just a little revisit there, Georgie. Excellent, Debbie. A great start to our conversation. So, Andy, what do stakeholders in early years need to take away from the SEN code of practice? Um, you know, we, we've talked about this, um, I think, previously, but the, the real key important phrase for early years practitioners within the Code of Practice is early identification and intervention. And um, Debbie and I are both really passionate about this. We both train um, SENCOs in early year settings. And, you know, I, I work in a secondary school and uh, Debbie in a primary school. And sometimes by the time that a child gets to us, a need has become so embedded and so developed and it's had a significant impact on a child's learning or their um, attitude towards school or their engagement in learning and and it's been incredibly detrimental but i've said before if we get these issues identified in the early years if they exist at that stage and we identify that need when that child is six months old a year old 18 months old two years old that is so powerful if we identify the need then and get that intervention in place age two so that by the time that child starts school they're already on the right pathway with the right support in place it's it's just so powerful um so that that's the key bit really early identification early intervention and it and it just highlights that early years providers um it's not just childcare. you know it, it might be a helpful service for whilst the parent is at work to have that childcare there, but it, it's beyond just childcare. It's mm-hmm. setting them up for future success. It's working with the parents, the carers, the outside agencies. It, it's identifying 
progress and the development against um, national frameworks and and it's identifying yes of course children are individual they develop at their own rate and their own pace but if there's any concerns that um, you know as a first-time parent you might not quite know exactly where uh, a two-year-old should be in terms of milestones or a 18-month-year-old should be in terms of milestones whereas the experts working in those early years are really well placed to think actually is this just a child that's developing at their own pace and everything's fine or could there be a need here could there be some kind of intervention and support that we could put in place to support this child in their journey it, it sounds like you can't underestimate the the importance of the early intervention piece that's the word that it, it keeps coming up all the time isn't it it's it sounds like if we can get in early, we can really, really, you know, impact and, and, and make a difference sort of and, and avoid things becoming more of an issue when they get get into sort of mainstream education. So in, in your experience, Debbie, what, what are some of the key implications of the SEND code of practice for early year providers? So one of the significant Im implications is the requirement for early years providers to have a designated special educational needs coordinator mm -hmm. who takes responsibility for coordinating support for children with SEND. And the role involves liaising with parents, identifying needs, you know, providing relevant training to staff and ensuring appropriate support strategies are in place. And I know that um, you do a lot of work with EY training um, uh, on on the Senco, as, as I do, Andy. I know you've mentioned that. I mean, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree. And do you know, it's something that um, I think is quite exciting because until recently, I feel like you know CPD has always been a thing in school, and it, you know it's always been recognised that teachers and TAs and and staff that work in schools need to develop, but feel like there's been less focus given to early years um, staff and actually in the last kind of 18 months or so there has been this recognition that actually if we're saying there's a legal responsibility of early year settings to provide all this support then there needs to be the training and the support provided for those staff to to make sure that they can do it really effectively so I think that introduction of the level three SENCO course for early years is really powerful and, and then they can cascade that training and knowledge to other staff within the setting and um you know one aspect for example i know um debbie picked up on the requirements have the senko one of their roles is leading um the graduated approach and, and providing individual education plans for children with send so these are documents where we assess the child through observations we see what what their needs are what they can do what they're struggling with we document what specific interventions um, will be provided for that child. We set smart targets for how we're going to measure if it's been successful and then we review them um, and we check the progress that the child's making and then set new targets and adjust them and revisit things and see what's working and what's not. And early years providers have a legal responsibility to do that um, and to involve parents and other professionals in the creation of those plans and the monitoring and the review of them as well. It's great to hear that they do actually exist now at, at, at that early stage because it, it's something there's been a big gap isn't there definitely and it sounds like a again a collaborative communication approach is essential and, and how can early year providers including nurseries and childminders create an exclusive environment for children inclusion is is at the heart of effective practice early years providers should really strive to 
create an environment where all children feel welcome, valued and supported. And I know that we do. We see that when we go out visiting various schools and we see real excellence in terms of how people are committed to their work. And this involves adapting the physical environment and providing appropriate resources and ensuring staff have the knowledge and skills to meet the diverse needs of children with SEND. And that's coming back to what Andy said about training being so important. And collaboration with parents and other professionals is vital. And we've touched upon collaboration in our series of podcasts so far. And regular communication, sharing of information and involving parents in decision making and all the processes uh, will really so will significantly contribute to creating an inclusive environment. And staff training, um, you know, they need to have a good understanding of the different SEN needs and strategies to support children's children's learning. Andy, thank you, Debbie, for that and um, for sharing the, the sort of the you know the understanding and how to make something so inclusive, particularly even at an early years stage. So, Andy, can you give us some examples of what this might look like in everyday practice? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, we, within this broad category of SEN, um, we, we look at two subdivisions, really. One that's called high incidence SEN, um, and these are types of special educational need that are, that are common. For example, autism, speech and language difficulties, um, ADHD. They're generally needs that um, the child has got a need, but with some support and intervention that can be met within a main, it can be supported in a mainstream environment. And then we've got low incidence SEN. Um, which are the much rarer needs that, that that might be there from birth, for example, a visual impairment, a hearing impairment, um, a physical difficulty. And the support that would be provided for each of those cases might look quite different and involve um, what, you know, whether they can be met within the, the early year setting alone or whether there's a lot of support from medical practitioners, for example. But it, it could be as simple as um, now and next boards. So some children benefit from being told very explicitly what activity they're doing now and what they will be doing next and when they'll be eating and when they'll be going outside and when they're going to um, have some quiet time and when they're going to move to another room and that helps them process the day or it could be um, as simple as um, letting a child know early in the morning what it is that they'll be eating for their lunch that day that helps them process that information and they, they understand the, the pathway for the day and that might make the lunchtime less stressful. So it could be minor tweaks to people's practice. Um, as we said, that just acknowledge that every child's unique. And actually, um, if you're a young child going to a nursery with an awful lot of different children and a lot of noise and a lot of toys, and that could be quite overwhelming for some children. And, and they might just need some little tweaks that just help them to get through the day and, and thrive and succeed. Other children might need uh, ramps, they might need kind of additional support, they might need things to hold on to to support them to access different environments, they might need wheelchairs, it, it might be um, physiotherapy, it, it really could vary from slight tweaks up to something quite significant and major just depending on the child's needs because they are also unique. It's back to that uniqueness piece, isn't it, Andy? And uh, and I think also the understanding that there's a need for routine and there's a need for you know clear expl expl explanations, but as Ethan 
Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, it does feel like there are lots of things that actually even at the early year stage that providers need to consider and, and, and be prepared for and back to that planning piece. So, Debbie and Andy, do you do you have any references from the SEND Code of Practice that might summarise the implications of early years and, and for providers and also for, for parents and, and SEND children? Yeah, I mean, one of them is that early years providers have a duty to make reasonable adjustments, including provision of auxiliary aids and services to ensure that disabled children are not placed at, substanti at substantial disadvantage compared to their peers. And that's chapter six, if that's helpful. Have you, I, I know you've got some as well, Andy, that you Yeah, know. I, you know, I think that one's interesting, Debbie. So we talk about when we're training early years, SENCOs a lot, um, that we have got this legal um, and moral obligation to make reasonable adjustments. But within the early years sector in particular, it's very, very difficult for providers to access the funding to be able to do so. They're often working um, on very tight margins and um, very tight staffing ratios that they're allowed to work with um, and meeting the needs of children with more complex needs is expensive. It requires more staffing, it requires more support, it requires ad additional resources and that's one of the real challenges that nurseries um, and childminders and early year settings face is they do this early intervention, um, early identification. They say, look, the child's got this needs. We can meet that need by providing X, Y and Z. But to then access the funding to be able to provide it is a real um, constant battle and challenge for them. So that's one um, thing to, to keep in mind. And then I think the, the other that I um, think is really important that we, we do a lot of work with early year SENCOs on is supporting the child for that transition to school and supporting the parents for that transition to school and how the information is shared between the early year setting and the school how the child is prepared for that change. You know, at the SENCO should be holding meetings with the SENCO at the school, with the parents, passing on what the child likes and dislikes and routines and the support they've had in early years to, to make it as seamless as possible. Because um, again, if we get that transition right, and we, we start them off in reception in a really positive mindset and attending and, and thriving, that then sets them up for, for success in the rest of the time at school. Whereas if that support isn't in place right at the start um, and their first experiences within school end up being difficult or negative or challenging or upsetting in some way, it's just not the start that you would want for your own child. I think that comes in as well, Andy, with the, another extract from, from the, the code and it says, all early years providers should have arrangements in place to identify and support children with special educational needs and disabilities, including a clear approach to identifying and responding to concerns. And that's something that I know, certainly from my experience of working with early years providers and doing the level three qualification, uh, that they've really understood the processes of identification and how to respond to those concerns. And that's essential, isn't it? You really must get that right. Absolutely. I think uh, also there's some, the, another one that I know that's there is and emphasises the early years aspect and early year providers 
uh, comes from chapter seven and it says around early year providers must have arrangements in place to support children with SEN or disabilities in line with the SEN code of practice. Andy, is there any more that you're aware of? Yeah, I think um, for me again, chapter seven talks about um, supporting parents and involving parents throughout that process. And again, it, it's easy, um, particularly in those early years, to see it as childcare where the parent can do a drop off at 7.45 on their rushing to get to work, you know, drop the child at the door, get back in the car and race off. Um, and the same at 5.30, 6 o'clock when you're picking them up. But actually, if the child's got additional needs, we need to really proactively, as we've said in previous episodes, involve the parents and the carers in that graduated approach. Because um, if, for example, the nursery setting are putting in place interventions within the setting, but then the parents or carers are using a totally different approach at home, actually you're just going to get a child that's confused um, or that doesn't make the progress or that the intervention doesn't have the impact that we want because they need that consistency so involving the parents is so important and um, there's some great apps and technology I know my um, son goes to a childminders and we have an app and we get pictures of his artwork and photographs of him playing and notes about what milestones he's met all uploaded and I, I love it when my phone pings and it's the app and I can, you know, I'm at work and I can see little pictures of what he's up to and videos of him and uh, notes on there from his key worker about what skills he's been working on and how he's been socialising and I think, you know, some of the technology and, and apps and things are a great way of engaging really busy parents and still letting them feel involved in, in that process as well. I think I, I just think that's lovely that you that you know you get so much excitement from that collaboration and and partnership and and you're absolutely right. I think for me, what's emerging and I know we've alluded to this before uh, in terms of early years education is is this and I, and I'm going to just take another extract from chapter seven. Early years providers should have regard for the SEND code of practice to support children with SEN or disabilities in the early years foundation stage. They should identify and address children's needs early and support parents in seeking additional help if needed. And I think that's crucial that as a practitioner in that setting that you know that that's probably a quote that hits me most about you know the role that we have in that setting really. Thank you Andy and Debbie I think that's a, a really great kind of you know overview of, of the SEN code of practice but Andy I love those stories that you're sharing about your son and, and his early years provider and, and actually it's a real challenge particularly with parents of, of SEND children and, and that they perhaps don't want to go to work or they're worried about leaving them and they're anxious about the situations. You know, naturally, as a parent, you don't always want to have to go to work, but you do because it's a necessity in life. And and having that kind of connection and communication with an early year provider, particularly if you have got a child with SEN needs, then absolutely that's going to be equally reassuring for the parent. And it's back to that kind of communication triangle again, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I um, often get like a text from my wife in the morning saying, oh, Theo was heartbroken when I left him. He really didn't want to go in. He was really upset. You think, oh, God, that's awful. And then half an hour later, you get a little ping on the app and there's a photo of him smiling and eating his toast and playing with his friends. And it, it, you can then get on with your day and 
focus on work and not because you know it's not in the back of your mind or oh, they're still upset they're still worrying because you've got that communication and it's so so powerful yes. i just love what you've said about communication georgie because it it annuls all fears doesn't it when you get that little ping and it comes in and everything's okay and you've sent your child to school that morning and they've been absolutely refusing school or having a having a meltdown and then by the time they're in school and there's 10 minutes in and they're you know drawing their flowers and telling stories and singing rhymes it, it just makes you feel so much better and that's part of the partnership work that we're talking about isn't it yeah absolutely but the Senko practice provides guidance to local authorities, schools and other educational settings on how to identify, assess and support children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities. It covers the whole range from birth to 25 years and it includes provisions for early year education. So those quotes that we've shared highlight just some of the focuses and the implications for early year providers. Keep them in mind that these quotes are just a few examples and the full SEND code of practice provides more detailed information on, on what things should be considered for early years education. It is always recommended to refer, refer to the most up-to-date version of the code for accurate and comprehensive guidance. Um, so make sure that you visit the gov.uk and search SEND code of practice and it will come up with the latest version for you to review. As a parent, what can we expect from our child with SEND who's in an early years and education? Andy, you've kind of touched on it yourself, but if you want to share a bit more. Yeah, I think, you know, this again is going to vary depending on the setting and depending on the child's need. But there should be some fundamentals that regardless of those things, some kind of basic expectations that all early years providers should have. And one of them, I would say, is a really inclusive environment where a parent shouldn't be feeling worried of um, can can they meet my child's need here? Can can my child succeed at this nursery or at this early year setting? Or um, you know, are they going to end up lonely, isolated on their own with no friends? Are, are the staff going to support them? Because we want um, and we and we've got this legal obligation for all providers to have an inclusive environment that really welcomes and supports children with send. Um, and you know what, it probably would be easier um, for some settings if, if they just said, actually, we don't have children returned here. We, we can't meet needs. We can't accommodate them. But it's not what we do. We're just um, for children that don't have any additional needs. That would make life really easy for them. But what an awful environment. You know, that would be heartbreaking for the, for the children and families with send. So they, they all must be inclusive. They all must be welcoming and say, actually, yeah, of course, your child's got this need and this need and what we can do is we'll support them by doing x y and z and it would help us even more if at home you could also do x y and z and we'll keep in contact and let's meet regularly and review the progress and if you've got ideas for strategies um then let us know and we'll let you know how things are going here and we'll keep you updated and if we think we need to work with different professionals and we'll do that as well and let's get all the support and care that your child needs in place so that we can set them on a great path when they start school and and that's that's the goal that's the aim i think as well we can talk about you know that we've talked about individualized support haven't we and you know within that early year setting you you should be looking at individual education plans that you, often they're referred to as what, what we call ieps 
and personalised learning plans, which can be referred to as PLPs. And, you know, we set specific goals and strategies um, and set out accommodations for, for children's needs. And that's just, you know, intrinsically linked to the early identification and assessment that we talked about earlier. And early years providers, that they have a duty to identify and assess children um, uh, for, for their needs. And they may utilise lots of different strategies and techniques and resources to support the child's learning and communication and, 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 and socialisation. But, you know, the early identification and assessment is crucial in terms of what, the, what you have to know to help the child. Andy, so what would the next stage be moving on then from um, from sort of early identification assessment? You know, is, is it the specialised teaching and interventions? Yeah, so um, we've talked about this graduated approach where they will assess a child's needs, set some targets, um, involve the parents in that process, review um, the progress that they're making. If they then identify, yes, maybe the child's made some progress, but not as much as we we're hoping, or actually we've put these things in place and they've not worked, they, the child hasn't made the progress that we were hoping, um, then the SENCO in that setting will have access to an area SENCO who's got an overview of the all of the local provision. They'll have access to the local offer document that we talked about and a whole network of other professionals that they can then refer into. Um, and that is then where they would start saying, actually, we need an occupational therapist, we need speech and language support, we need some support from the autism team, um, we recommend imported. So it can then be um, the, the kind of the gatekeeper, if you like, for the specialised support um, that they can then commission from other agencies. And again, the SENCO within the early year setting will coordinate all of that support and involve the parents, the carers, the school that they might be moving on to. Um, and, and as well, actually, I think it's important, even more complex within the early year setting, is children don't always just attend one. They might attend, for example, I don't know, a, a childminder on a Monday and a Wednesday, uh, but on a Tuesday and a Thursday, they go to a nursery. So there's sometimes even more providers um, that need to be involved and need to be informed um, than there is when it gets to school age and they're generally just at one, one provider. I'm, I'm sensing that we're back at that collaboration and communication and, and important that that, that is kind of there, there's a holistic approach again even at, at an early year stage and parents should expect ongoing collaboration and communication with their early years education providers would this include sort of regular updates on child's progress or strategies and interventions for home for, for parents to provide feedback in or debbie what what would what are your thoughts on here I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there, Georgie. It's exactly that. And and we, we do have also specialist and external support, which is available. And I know that in early years, professionals are reaching out beyond and being outward facing so they can get the best. And like you say, we have talked about this in previous podcasts about how collaboration is, is essential. And there are lots of people out there that are speech therapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, lots and lots of professionals that you can tap into their expertise. Um, and, and as you said, Georgie, and I will always come back to this, the parent is the best expert on their child, I would imagine. 
I would agree with you. And and what what should happen? I think you've touched on this already, Andy, but just as a wrap up, what should happen when the child makes the transition from an early year provider to a new school? Yeah, absolutely. We, we touched on it earlier, but I think first and foremost, it's the acknowledgement that that can be a difficult time for the child and for the family. And the SENCO needs to be really proactive um, at collaborating, at sharing information. And, and sometimes, um, Debbie and I speak to early years workers and SENCOs that are, are worried about GDPR and, oh, you know, we can't share information or we have to keep this private. It, you know, it's, it's on our system, we can't share anything. But actually, um, where this is in the best interest of the child and with parental um, permission, of course, that information sharing is so important. And actually, when it's for the benefit of the child and their progress, I think there's very, very few parents and carers that wouldn't give permission you to be sharing information with the school that they're moving on to. So I think it's so important that we get that continuity of support, the appropriate um, reasonable adjustments and accommodations are made um, and the child and the parents are then not anxious about starting in their new environment because they know that the new provider is aware of what's been provided so far, what's worked, what's not, what the difficulties are, what the successes are and they can hopefully have a a really smooth, successful start um, that that just kind of promotes positivity and, and happiness as they start on the, the new part of their journey. Can I can I just come in as well on the back of that? Because Andy's absolutely right. He's talked about you know that transition and sharing information. What shouldn't happen is that a child makes a transition and the new school has to start to do all what should have been done mm -hmm. to make sure that we identify and support the child. And I think now um, there's much more focus on that EY provision because of how important it actually is to, to, to spot it, spot all everything that children need and families. I think we've covered quite a substantial amount. It's been a meaty podcast today, but there's lots to talk around the early years sort of sector and also the, the SEND support for early years. It's important to note that the specific expectations may vary based on local policies, legislation and individual circumstances of the child and their family. So as a parent, you should engage in open communication with the early year education providers and seek information about the specific support and provisions available in your area. Thank you, Debbie and Andy, again. Here we have good insight into the topic area and we can go away and read the SEND Code of Practice 2015 for further information. There are a lot of qualifications actually out there for Level 3 Early Year SENCO if you wish to learn more. And currently these are funded by the DfE. So please also have a look on the DfE website. We hope that this sixth podcast has been helpful to you in respect of understanding um, early years support. And in our next podcast, we're actually going to focus in on the same code of practice within school itself. So I'm looking forward to having that discussion. You can pick up the After the Bell podcasts that are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. Listen to this on your daily commute, on your treadmill as your focus of the day. Thank you for listening to After the Bell. Thank you.